The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan Green. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I just want to say what's in my heart, which is how fulfilled and really joyous it is for me to be here with you, all of you in this room, all of you at home, practicing together. Um, that's my heart and your heart. And uh, it's been a while, a couple of years, since I've been able to be here. It's not an unusual story, I know. But uh, this is my home, and uh, no matter where I am, and uh, we are Sangha. This is a koan from the Book of Equanimity, uh, Case 18, Zaucho's Dog, the preface. A gourd floating on the water. Push it down, and it turns. A diamond in the sunlight, it has no definite shape. It cannot be attained by mindlessness, nor known by mindfulness. Immeasurably great people are turned about in the stream of words. Is there anyone who can escape? In the main case, a monastic asked Jiaocho, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Jiaocho said, yes. Then the monastic said, since it has, why is it then in this skin bag? Jiaocho said, because they know yet deliberately transgress. Another monastic asked Chaucho, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Chaucho said, no. The monastic said, all sentient beings have Buddha nature. Why does a dog have none then? Chaucho said, because they still have karmic consciousness. I wanted to look at a koan that points at the subtlety of karma as best as I could and see if I could bring it forth, the, the all-pervading subtlety of karma. We all have Buddha nature, and we are all ordinary human beings with karma consciousness. Beyond these words, how do you see this? What does it mean in our own ordinariness to see into your wisdom nature clearly so that you can respond with helpful, forthright words and actions in accordance with the situation? Truly living out of a compassionate understanding 
as best as we can wherever we find ourselves. What does that mean? Why does Master Chow Chow answer yes to one person and no to the other, given that they asked the identical question? In the verse to this koan, it introduces the koan. I read it. I'm, I'm sorry. In the verse, it says, a dog's Buddha nature exists, a dog's Buddha nature does not exist. So which is it? If that's so, is trying to realize our true nature for ourselves real? Does it mean something? Should we try? Should we not try? Is there a problem trying to awaken? Is there anything to awaken to? Or nothing to awaken to? In the preface, it says, immeasurably great people are turned around in the stream of words. Koans make complete sense to an awakened mind or an awakened understanding, let's say. But they're a difficult puzzle when we get caught up and turned about in the stream of words and thoughts. But unerringly, they point to the whole of the non-dual dharma. The first part of this koan is often used as a first barrier for a student to see through. You've all heard of that. To see through it, you must see directly. Directly, without a thought. Eye to eye with Chao Chao. To see Mu. Mu has nothing to grasp onto. No handle, no concept. No emptiness, no fullness. Mu. The actual translation of Mu is no, but of course that doesn't help. That's not useful in investigating what Mu is, who you are. So are you seeing something or is there nothing to see? To see Mu, you have to let go of all your conceptions and ideas. You have to be so intimate with Mu, you are Mu. At such a time, where do you find yourself? Where is yourself? In the koan, a monastic asks Chao Chao, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? The monastic asks a yes or no question. The footnote for that question says, the monastic blocks the alley chasing a clod of earth. He blocks the alley chasing a clod of earth. What's the problem? Chapter says, yes, he does have Buddha nature. And the footnote says, yet, it's never been added. Of course the dog has Buddha nature. 
We all know this. But it's a dog. Historically, in Chinese culture, the dog is a terribly filthy and despised creature. I don't think in our culture and in these times we can really understand clearly how despised it was. Although in our time, in our culture, we have human beings despising other human beings in that way. Isn't that interesting? Given this, the monastic asks, given yes, since it has, why is it then in the skin bag? Another translation says, why did it crawl into the skin bag? Since it has Buddha nature, what's it doing in there? And the footnote says, checking once, the monastic beckons, coming out with what pertains to themselves. Are there implications in the question concerning the monastic's own Buddha nature? I was thinking about questions, questions that we ask, spiritual questions that we ask, but not just, but let's limit it to that. It's, it, it offers so much. I think behind most, perhaps all, of the questions we ask of ourselves, of a teacher, there is all of our karma wrapped up in it, all of our ways of understanding ourselves and others and our life. And it's framed in that question, that little silly question, which of course is not so silly, that we've chosen to frame our life in. The karma of our life is there. Who we are is in that question. And this is not a bad thing. It's a really important thing. We've heard in the talks in this session how important it is to carefully question and tease apart our assumptions and not take things for granted, things, thoughts, assumptions, our karma for granted. It's not fixed. That's fine for some people. Other people's mind doesn't quite work that way. But still, everyone here wouldn't be here without some question at some level that brought you here. Why the heck would you want to do this otherwise? It's too damn difficult. But if the imperative is there, it has to be done. So our karma comes forth in our question. And it's also important in the teacher-student relationship. What's the teacher's job? The teacher's job is to see where the student is. And to do that so the teacher can offer help. Understanding that that, that help is to empower the, the student. To invite the student to see for themselves into the question. So it's crucial we ask questions. But there's all different types of questions. And that requires some, dis some of our discernment. So are there implications in, his, in the question concerning their own Buddha nature? Does the student worry that they don't have Buddha nature? 
Well, they can't realize it. The monastic is coming from a yes or no place, the relative world of having or not having. Asking if the, if the dog does have Buddha nature, why is it in this terrible body? Given Buddha nature, why does it have this terrible existence? And there's a line that you may be familiar with in Yakujo and the Fox. I won't go into the whole story, but a, a teacher is, suffers 500 rebirths as a fox because of a similar but different type question. And there's a comment, and I forget if it's in the commentary, know that the teacher is 500 years of a fox, 500 lifetimes as a fox enjoyed the lifetimes fully. Does Zhao's yes come from this place, another place? Zhao says, because the dog knows, yet deliberately transgresses. And the footnote, just to nail us all, says, don't assume he's not talking about you. <laughs> How interesting an answer, because the dog knows yet, yet deliberately transgresses. I, I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it in a slightly different form, following uh, Kaijin's, monastic Kaijin's, some of you know. Her advice was tell the story as it should be told. And uh, I've followed her advice. Um, in a number of situations in my life, I've been with a group of born-again Christians. And um, someplace, if it's a period of time, in this case it was on a medical mission, you know, the only Buddhist in 30 born-again Christians, um, I would be approached and well-meaning people saying, you know, you're going to go to hell because... You know, you haven't accepted uh, Jesus Christ into your heart. And in a couple of different instances, I would say, that's okay. You know, that's where I want to go. That's where I can be of the most use. <laughs> now, looking back, I am not proud of that answer. <laughs> For two reasons. For two reasons. It's very arrogant. And second, I don't know if that's true. We never know until we're in the midst of terrible suffering how we'll be. We don't know. So what is Chao Cho's meaning? Because the dog knows yet deliberately transgresses. Where's the sticking point for this monastic? All beings have Buddha nature, says the Nirvana Sutra. That's a given. Everybody in this room knows that. Chacha said, because they know yet to deliberately transgress. Another monastic, or perhaps the same one, later asked Chacha, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Chacha now says, no. Footnote says, 
yet it's never been removed. That answer makes no sense to the monastic. And the monastic says, all sentient beings have Buddha nature. There's something implicit in that statement that's worth seeing. All beings have Buddha nature. Why does a dog have none then? And the footnote says, and look for the obvious here, stupid dog chases a hawk playing with the dog. Chapter says, because they still have impulsive consciousness, karmic consciousness. So let's look a little more personally at this. Suppose you asked Hojin Sensei, do I have Buddha nature? And Hojin Sensei says, yes. And you say, how could I possibly have Buddha nature with so little insight and so much pain in my life? And Hojin says, because just as you are, you deliberately transgress. Just as you are, you deliberately transgress. Are we okay? Here you are alive. Can you see that your Buddha nature fills your entire being and more, so much more? What will you do with your magnificent, boundless life? To paraphrase Mary Oliver. Are you doing your very best? in your bag of skin to practice the bodhisattva path of not doing evil, of practicing good, of practicing good for others? But that's a real question for you, to me. Are you doing your very best? Is that conscious for you? Is that in your awareness? I mean, we say all the words, we chant all the, all the chants. We may even think it, we may understand it, but are we doing our best? And what does it mean to do your best? Hojin Sensei is pointing to the limitless perspective of your being, just as it is. To appreciate this in our bones, to deeply appreciate your inherent Buddha nature. For you, 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 me, you. That is there. And that we can give life to. It's very, very personal. And it's just in this body and mind. Just as we are. In this skin bag of a dog. Human equivalent. Can we see deeper within our life, beyond our relative conceptual perspective of our faults and limitations and confusions. We all have them. Is it that, do you stop there with the conclusion of how I am? 
and what I can't do? Dogen says, without the discriminating mind, we cannot awaken to Bodhi mind. That discriminating mind is the very vehicle that allows us to raise the Bodhi mind, to want to and to actually accomplish realization, which is not a thing, the whole point of this koan. Not something, not some mark, not some fixed point. So we're all subject to karma. There it sits, in our seat. Bald head, crooked nose. However we are. Whole, complete Buddha nature. Okay. But you're not yet satisfied. That doesn't quite do it for you. So you go to Shugud Roshi. There's always a, someone else we can ask to get the answer we want, right? Do I have Buddha nature? And much to your astonishment, Shugun Roshi says, no. Perhaps he says, Mu. What is he saying? So you say, all sentient beings have Buddha nature. How come I don't? That would have confirmed the first monastic's most basic fear. But something else is going on now. Shukin says, because you still have karmic consciousness. And the footnote says, the foregoing is like before in every way. The case is settled on the basis of the facts. Is Shugan Roshi saying no as opposed to yes? Or is there more there? After all, all of you, inherently with your Buddha nature, don't you have karmic consciousness? I certainly do. I think we all do. This is our ongoing challenge, living out of our discriminatory consciousness, yet not being held captive by our delusionary mind. There it is. That's the whole thing. So how do your vows fit here if we still have karma con consciousness and yet we take our vows? the impossibility of our vows, we take them up as, as our personal. Personal, it's got to be personal. Wow. Where does Mu fit in? Where does karma consciousness fit in? Where do you find you, you yourself, when all we know is our discriminatory mind. How can we have faith in, or know, or practice and realize our true nature? We don't know anything of true nature. We only know our discriminatory mind. 
How can we know our ground if our sense of being is confused with the content of our experience? You understand what was just said? If we take our current experience, whatever it is, good, bad, and different, say, that's who I am. Right now, I'm not feeling so good. I'm depressed. That's who I am. End of story. Or fill in the blanks of anything else. When that confusion is there, so far as we're concerned, there's no Buddha nature. There's only our confused samsaric world and the suffering that arises as it. And calling something Buddha nature is a further delusion. So if we stick to a position or an opinion that rests on the side of our relative body of limitations, I can't have Buddha nature, poor me, then Hojin Sensei offers clarity. And if you stick to a fixed view that there's something called Buddha nature, which we can grasp and hold, and that's it, then Shugen Roshi has an offering to help. Well, which is it? Do you have it? Or do you not have it? Without explaining or conceptualizing or getting stuck on one side or the other. Again, I've told this story before, but it fits here. Years ago, there was a photographer, a very good, talented photographer who would come here regularly to offer workshops. And his, his pictures would, are what I call, with some scorn, sorry, pretty pictures. And they were of nature. It takes a great deal of skill to shoot them, I know that. But when it comes to photography or poetry, I'm really I'm not interested in photography or poetry except in a spiritual sense. That's just me. Um, and he would be in the dining room, and I, I would see him on repeated occasions studying Daito Roshi's photographs, which I can't say always, I don't know that, but all the ones that I saw always showed both sides, the absolute and the relative meeting, right there. And you could see objects, but you really couldn't see objects. I mean, and he would study them, and then he'd look at his own photographs, which were beautiful and completely only showed one side. And one time up in the guest room, we were, we were talking, we were friendly, and he started asking me questions about Mu. And again, in my arrogance, I wasn't a teacher, and near being a teacher, but I was confident nevertheless. And um, is it this, is it that? And he, he went through what everyone goes through when they work on Mu, you know, the, everything you can think of. And I said, no, 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 no. And then he said, oh, you're just negating everything. And uh, I missed my chance to, anyway. Um, but I felt guilty for that. I wasn't a teacher. But to me, he was, I was going to say a nasty thing, but I won't. 
that I <laughs> wanted to respond to him and take something away. Uh, so I told Dido what happened. And he said, I hope you told him that there's no such thing as Buddha nature. There's no such thing as Mu. Which I'm sure would have confused him even more. In the preface to this koan, it says, a gorg floating on the water. Push it down, and it turns. A diamond in the sunlight, it has no definite shape. So there's Chao and Hojin Hogan and Shugan coming forth in response to your questions. A Buddha nature, no definite shape, indefinable, yet completely responsive to our karmic intentions. And here's Chaucho's karmic consciousness in action. There it is, right before you. But what are we talking about? Fundamentally, there are no sentient beings and no one to save them. Fundamentally, there's no karma. Dogen calls this delusion within delusion when you're in the world of karma. Knowing this, truly knowing this, yet deliberately transgressing. This is what we're doing here on the Bodhisattva path. We're sitting and sitting and sitting and working in every way that we can think of to see into our heart, to see what's at the bottom and encountering it the whole way, although we may or may not be realizing that or have realized that we are realizing it, but we may not be apparent to us. And so practicing this, perhaps knowing this, yet to li- deliberately transgressing into this world of things, this is our work. Living out of our karma, no matter what our karma is, we can purposely transgress. But we have to be careful. When Chacho says, no, or Mu, does a dog have Buddha nature? He wipes away everything. All thoughts of Buddha nature, all selves, all me's and you's, all beings and compassion. When Chacho says, yes, a dog does have Buddha nature, the whole universe, the whole universe is you yourself, alive and well, just as it is. So where do you find the dog? Where do you find yourself? Again, I've mentioned this, but it just rings for me. I was just up in the cemetery visiting so many of my old friends. And I was thinking of Nenshin. Many of you knew him. He was a quadriplegic. Interesting, fascinating person, played 
professional baseball. I was a Vietnam vet involved in what is difficult to talk about. So professional athlete, he was skiing, he fell, he had a, a high neck fracture and became a quadriplegic and then turned to Zen. Did many sessions here, work with Daito Roshi. Now you understand quadriplegic, bowel care, and all that that implies in the midst of Sashin. And he was one of the folks who was in constant pain. So that was his karma. He had been an alcoholic. He had other events in his younger days which were not so nice. And he once said to me, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. He was always in pain, severe pain. And there was no treatment for it. But in other ways, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Karma. What is it? What do we do with it? Is it a defeat? Is it an opportunity? How do we understand it? So if you say, yes, a dog has Buddha nature, Chapter says no. If you say no, a dog does not have Buddha nature. Chapter says yes. If you say nothing at all, all of your practice and vows are dead in the water. So what do you say? Do you have Buddha nature or not? Chaucho is utterly free in responding yes or no. I think that's a bit unusual for a teacher to kind of commit to one side in one set of circumstance and the other side in another. But he's utterly free to do that. And it reminds me of another story of Dido. He was giving a mando downstairs, this is before the Sangha house, and someone asked him, are you enlightened? And that's not an unusual te- question for a teacher to be asked. Um, and I've heard teachers ask that, and I've heard responses from, no, I'm not. Um, my own response when I was asked that is, I don't know anything about enlightenment. And. Dido would usually give one of those or other responses. And in this particular case, he said, yes, I'm enlightened. And I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> you know, I mean, understand the very nature of realization is that you, as you, are not enlightened. But you have seen through it. But you're not. It, enlightenment's not a thing. And in, in that sense, any realized person, would that's what they've realized. And then I started to realize what he was doing. You know, the gourd, when pressed down, turns. The person asking the question was a very aggressive resident who was very cocky, and I could use other adjectives, and very aggressive in the way he asked it. 
and smooth as could be. Yes, I am. And the person just shut up. <laughs> Nothing to say. So again, I read, it cannot be attained by mindlessness, nor known by mindfulness. Immeasurably great people are turned about in the stream of words. Is there anyone, you and me, who can escape? And so here we are. Can we live out of our karmic compassion? That's the relative. Does it exclude the understanding of the absolute? Can we see that when we stick in the relative, we stick in delusion? And when we stick in, an, in the absolute or an idea of the absolute, we stick in the blindness of oneness. And to make this more real, when we stick, we're sticking in our mind, in this body and mind. We're coming forth from our karma, our personal karma. It's not something out there. It's not an idea. It's real. But what is it? Compassion is to see both sides and not be stuck. Not be stuck in the absolute living in the relative, yet seeing through the relative, seeing through it. And when we see through ourself and another person, we're seeing heart to heart, we're seeing their heart, we're seeing our heart. To me, that's love. Not in a personal sense, I love you, let's get married, or whatever equivalent, but in a much larger sense of real, really selfless, compassionate being. This is Chow Cho's teaching. And yes, everything is present, all things. And the compassion manifests as we live here. And no, there isn't a single thing. And in this realization of our in this realization, our compassion is alive and well as this vast no-thing body. So this is a wonderful story. And the question for each of us is how can we give it life? It's not a yes or no answer. It's not an answer in a sense. It's, what is it? It's life. It's practice. It's using what each of us had and has. I started to talk about Alex and how he went to Sushin. He had a breakthrough. He was in pain. He was in a dog's body. I mean, I'm just thinking of one other thing. I'm sorry. He was very, he lived into his 70s, very unusual for a quadriplegic because he took such good care of himself. And he offered himself. He uh, was an AA sponsor, sponsored many, many people. 
and helped in many, many other ways. And he got very sick, and he was in the hospital. And he insisted on going home. And there's nobody home. I mean, he lives in a set-up apartment. And when I heard that, I called him that night. He was home. So here he is with his karma of being deathly ill and all that comes with his quadriplegia. They said, should you be home? You don't sound good. He said, yes, I should be home. And we said goodbye. I said, I'll call you in the morning. In the morning, nobody answered the phone. He had died during the night. And I'm clear that he knew. He went home to die. He needed to do that. And he needed to live out of that karma. I can't say I can't explain it very well. But I understand it. So we have all of this available to us. It does require some effort and sensitivity and, in a relative sense, failure, which, as Dogen says, is essential to awakening. And we can do that. We're experts at failure, aren't we? Because we sit as in. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.